0: Today's episode of the BS Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by ZipRecruiter. If you're an employer, you know how challenging it can be to hire, but right now you face even more challenges. Mattson Resources could relate. They needed to hire a seasoned senior Citrix administrator to provide IT support. So they turned our presenting sponsor, ZipRecruiter, and that's how they found Peter Alcantar Jr. He was laid off during COVID-19, needed to find another job quickly, so he posted his resume on ZipRecruiter. Zip identified him as a great match for the role at Matt's and resources the hired Peter in less than three weeks. See how ZipRecruiter can help you hire. Try it now for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. We're also brought to you by the ringer podcast network, where we launched the Bakari sellers podcast this week. He had the Watson on it. It was really good. Uh, he's doing it twice a week. Please check it out. It is, uh, it's going to be really good. I think it's going to be a useful one, especially as we uh, head into whatever we're going to head into here over the next eight months. Um, I'm going to talk to Kenny Smith, and we're going to talk to Will Farrell. And the Will Farrell one was taped like a month ago, but we were holding it until his uh, new movie came out. But this is a really good podcast. I hadn't had Kenny Smith on on this version of the BS podcast. He doesn't really do podcasts that much, but... Um, it was really fun having him on. Now I'm just going to force him to come on more often, but that's coming up in one second. Quick programming note. This is going to be the last podcast of the week. We're taking a few days off here at the ringer. Um, just because of the July 4th, all that stuff. There's going to be no Rosillo podcast on Sunday. This podcast will not return until um, next Tuesday. There is going to be a rewatchables coming um, tomorrow night, Wednesday night. The perfect storm. That's happening. 20 year anniversary. So stay tuned for that. And then there won't be another podcast after that. And I think Rosilla and I, we, we're probably not gonna do the Sunday night pod again until the second and last week of July because now with the NBA coming back, assuming it does come back, I guess we'll find out a little more over the next uh next few days here. Kenny and I talk about that in a second. But uh, assuming basketball does come back, cross your fingers, if it does come back, if it makes sense for it to come back, we will see. Um, we're going to be back in the grind doing those Sunday nights after games. And then when football comes back and Cousin Salary joins us, then we're going to have to figure out a different night for me and Rosilla. So... We'll figure all of it out. It's a good problem to have because it means that sports will have come back. And I really do hope it comes back. But anyway, that's the schedule for the, uh, for the next week at least. And that's all you need to know. All right, here they are. Pearl jab. <laughs> All right. So a few weeks ago, I was doing Michael Jordan deep dive games, stumbled across this game from 1995 halftime show. Tim Hardaway, Cheryl Miller, Ernie Johnson, and a current NBA player at the time by the name of Kenny Smith, who was doing halftime analysis. And it looked like that kid was going places. Now, 25 years later, you're still
1: going. Do you even remember that? I do. It was funny because... When you you got to the point when you lose, TNT used to bring in players when they lost. We still do it from time to time now. Yeah. And so after after the show, uh, Michael Jackson and Tim Kylie and um, at the time, you know, the produ- was producing and Mike Pearl, um, go, you know, if you, if you want to do this, you could probably do this for a living. And I thought they just said that as a parting gift. Yeah. Like, oh, you're good. If you want to do it, and literally. A year, a year or two later, I was thinking about retirement. I got a call, and they were like, "No, we were serious. Like, you want to come in and do this?" And that's how it happened. But I never took it seriously at the time. But my ex, at the time, my ex wife, she was a, she used to do TV. She was a, yeah. a anchor in Arkansas. So how I learned about TV was watching her, and she used to say, "Okay, critique what I'm saying when you're home watching." And I'd sit home, and I'd like. Oh, why was your hands there? Why'd you say that? And, and then she started. And then I learned a little about who, what, when, and why. So I was critiquing her and just taping her. And that's how I learned about TV.
0: Well, you could see it even in this. It must have been 96 because you were out of the playoffs. But you could see it in the halftime show. You kind of knew instinctively what to do. Like you had put some thought into it. And, you know, that was like the wild, wild west of halftime shows for 25 years dating back to the 70s. They would throw anybody on those things. They would put no thought into if the person was going to be good or not, if they were comfortable, what yeah. they were going to ask them. And there were just a lot of misses.
1: A lot of, well, I think the one thing that Tim Kylie has, I have to give my producer a lot of credit. One day we're sitting in a in in production meeting and I go, why am I here? He's like, because it's a production meeting. So you could know what's going to go on. You can give us the keys to the game. And I said, I'm not going to know what's going to happen until I see it. Right. There's nothing gonna happen in a basketball game I haven't seen or done or been part of. So why am I sitting here like giving you keys that I don't know? And he's like, that makes sense. See you get out of here. I haven't built, I haven't been to a production meeting in 24 years, 20 years, whatever I've been there. I've only been to two ever. And because of that question. And so it's all spontaneous and thought process of what happened. In your life, And then the second thing, <laughs> I was like, when, I, I think when you do it, like you're looking at this camera, like they used to have that thing where you have to look, camera three is your camera.
0: Stare at the camera. Stare, Stare it at down. the
1: camera and answer your question. And I said to him then, I said, but if I'm saying a joke and I don't know if Ernie's laughing or not, how do I know? I don't know if it's funny or not. Can I just talk to Ernie? He says, okay, we're going to add another camera in the studio and we'll find you. Just look wherever you want. And that was it. And then so Charles and Ernie and myself now and Chuck and Jack, we don't look at the camera. We just, the camera finds us And because of that. And it made us feel, and I think that's the thing. I'm giving out trade secrets to other people. That's what makes us feel natural. Like we don't feel like we're looking at a camera telling a joke or telling a, a you know, why things are good and bad. So
0: I almost did countdown in 2012. And I was at the 11th hour and I backed out because I was doing Grantland. I was doing a whole bunch of things. And I just didn't, I felt like I had too much going on. I didn't feel like I was ready for it. And that whole 2011, 12 season, it was 2011, sorry, the 2011, 12 season, LeBron's first title. Hmm. I watched your show that whole year trying to figure out different things because I knew I was probably going to be doing it in a year. Right. And one of the things was like, I'm never looking at the camera. I like how Kenny is doing this. Kenny's playing off the people that he's with. I'm a, i am I want to do that. If I ever do this, I'm not staring at the camera. And then the other thing I noticed was be on one of the corners. Cause if you're in the middle, you're on a swivel, on a swivel. you got, you got to look at this guy, you got to turn yeah. this way and you're like this and you look fidgety. And I would watch how you handled that while your whole body stayed calm, but you kind of did this left to right. And I was like, I'm not good enough to do that. I can't do that. But you're one of the few people I've seen who can do it. Jalen can now do it too.
1: Mm, well, I think the one thing is, I always when I'm when I'm on the set, my my process is, I'm in the locker room, I'm in the green room, I'm not on set. So how would I react? Would I would I, would I you know? So now I don't have to think about my reactions, yep. my comments. I'm just I'm normal. I, I have to feel normal because most of the things that I'm saying is reactions to what's happening in the game or to what Charles is saying. So the other part is listening. Like that's, you know, for us is the biggest thing, Bill. Like, cause if Charles will say something like <laughs> Shaq one day, he, you know, Shaq, when he first got there he was not doing his homework. So yeah. he would like come in there, he's like, I'm Shaq. Like, I'm the most dominant. I don't, I'm like, oh, he's not the most dominant here, brother. But that's okay. Well, I am the most dominant. I'm just walking in. I don't pay attention. I'm not, when I want to, I, I do things. And so he, he said, um, yeah, so Tyson Chandler, you know, this is pregame. You know, a guy like Tyson Chandler is gonna be big and brother. And normally you get your 30 seconds on most shows that just say your part and then somebody else says theirs. But because we listen, I'm like, wait, whoa. You said who? He said Tyson Chandler. He's not playing tonight. He's out. You didn't You didn't hear? It. And we embarrassed him on the air. And from mm. that point on, he's like, no, I'm coming in, and I'm going to know my stuff. Because we're like, you don't even know he's not playing. And we just all night. So we were like, so the Celtics would come on. We'd be like, so Bill Russell is going to have a real good game tonight. <laughs> right. We just had we just the joke running all night long about right. people who didn't play in the game anymore. And Shaq changed that night, and he started doing his homework.
0: Well, it's interesting because the first year he was not good, and, and it really kind of screwed your show up a little bit as he tried to figure out how to fit in. And this is a thing that I just don't think people understand. Like TV takes years, the chemistry yeah, takes man. years, the comfort takes years. Because I think Shaq is really good now, but we it took this to too. a ten-year odyssey with that, right?
1: We had to learn him too, Bill. Like it wasn't just him learning us; we had to learn his rhythm and what he was good at. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I was. We talked it all day, I'm like, Shaq is good at jokes, like, and then we, we evolved the Shaq thing to fool, you know? It, it, and then, one day, we have a meeting. <laughs> it's just, Shaq is not in the meeting. It, we walk in, and we have I have this big meeting, which is really odd. And so we have Charles and just myself in the meeting, and then Tim Kylie, our producer, walks in. I'm like, this is weird. Yeah. Like, where's Ernie, where's Shaq? No, I wanna talk to you two guys. Why are you giving him a hard time? You're not letting him come in. And you don't want him to be part of this. You don't want this show to be great. You're making fun of him. And I'm, and I'm sitting there, and Charles is already pissed. So yeah. Charles, he's just quiet. So I go, when does someone come on our show and we don't make fun of them, but not knowing something? Right. And it's silent. And he goes, all right, get out the room, that's it. Oh, yeah, you're right. He's like, do whatever you want to him. He's got to join in. And that's how. It, that's the kind of conversations that we've had because it's important to be authentic. Right. You know? And that really reads, if I'm like Tyson Chandler and I let him slide and don't say anything, then it's like, it's not authentic.
0: Well, the, the thing I was the most jealous when we were competing against you guys there for a couple of years, and, and this is the part people, you said it before, if you're doing a pregame show, you're basically talking out of your ass. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, you right. can say whatever, but that's why you guys very smartly, you might go five, six minutes before the game. And that's, it. And that's we, it. When we were doing countdown, we would either do a half hour or an hour. The two years I was there and you would do these whole segments of like, what does Derek Rose have to do against the Knicks tonight? And I, I'm like, Nobody's going to care about this. Why we should just argue about basketball? But then you guys would have this hour after the game. Right. We could react to what happened, and we would have nothing. They would just throw it to sports center. So I'm like, and you guys have a pregame the one show. Minute.
1: You have the one minute on the back end,
0: yeah, instead of the front end. Yeah, and it's like the only part people care after with the with a, a halftime show and a post game show, whatever. Is like, what'd you think? Yeah. Hey, this happened. I always thought the best. The best show I thought you guys ever had was after game five, LeBron in the Boston series in 2010, when Mm. he melted down Yeah, and the way that you guys talked about that as like a real moment. And Barkley was so disappointed, but all you were, but he was so disappointed that LeBron didn't have it. And he was just kind of so surprised, like what happened? And you guys, it was like, listen to a therapy session. You weren't even in the game. That's what you get with those post-game shows, you know? Absolutely. And I think that's the part people miss.
1: That's what we want, you know, Bill. I think for us is, you know, like I always call it bull, the Bull Durham moment. Mm. You know, and they used to, they go to the mound in the movie Bull Durham and, and uh, on the, the baseball movie and they go, every all the pitcher, the catcher, the coach comes to the mound and then you start hearing what they're saying. And he's like, Did you order chicken last night? (laughs) Like you're thinking that they're talking about every, and sometimes they aren't. And so that's what we, I'm like, we have to be bull during moment. We have to let people into the mound and let them hear what, what, the only one who can really say what LeBron is thinking is Charles or Shaq. The only one who could say what, you know, um, Derek Fisher was thinking is me. Right. The only one who gets, you know, only one who could say what the coach is saying is me. So we, we kind of like, everyone has their role of what they, they hear in the, and what they were saying in the mound. And um, that's what we try to just let people hear. It's like, this is it. Did you order chicken today? <laughs> right.
0: Know? Well, you know, that's when Shaq found his voice, I think. And it took a while. Mm-hmm. But he's one of the best 15 porters of all time. He oh, yeah. was the best player in the league for three straight years, and especially with centers, when it's somebody, you know. I think the Dwight Howard thing was too personal for him because of the Superman piece. Like he he could never really talk about Dwight Howard objectively. But who who was the guy last year Embiid, and when when he's going yeah. in on Embiid, and then Barkley's coming in too. Now you have two of the best twenty guys ever, yeah. and both of them are like, "Hey, man." we're disappointed in this guy. We think he has a chance to be great. We see it. We were great players. We know who the other great players are and he doesn't get it yet. And to hear how that resonated with Embiid, I thought was one of the most fascinating things that happened last season. Like Embiid was like hurt, but yeah. I think it, I think it resonated with him. I, I do feel like it might've changed the destiny of his career potentially.
1: Because he, he understood that. How do you, how do you say it? Um, you can fool some of the people some of the time, mm. but you can't fool us. Like you could see through things by being in the infantry that you can't see if you're in the bird's eye view. So we're right. in that infantry. So no, that doesn't add up, brother. Like, you know, that doesn't add up. Like I get it, but that doesn't add up. And so when he heard it and he came Shaq as a big man, uh, Charles as a all-time great.
0: As a Philly and, franchise guy, and then you as somebody who
1: played with like, one of the 12 teammate, Best Spies ever. I came I came in as a teammate. Right. How you're making me feel as a teammate. That's what my thought was. like, if I was his teammate, what would I say to him? So he couldn't fool any of us. He, we came at him in all ways, and he's like, that's right. I'm not doing that. I am. You're right. Because you but, can't
0: but, but your perspective was valuable because you played with somebody who was as gifted athletically as Embiid, and is actually probably one of the four or five most gifted athletes in the right. history of the league, right,
1: right. but then
0: also had the work ethic and gave exactly. a shit and really, really, really put the time in, and that's why it eventually pays off with the two straight titles. And I, I was with you guys. I don't I don't see it yet with him, and maybe he'll get there. Maybe it'll be something he figures it's out. It's It's just
1: inconsistent. You can't be
0: inconsistent if you want to be great.
1: You just can't. Yeah. Yeah, and, and consistency is greatness. That's what it is. It's not the fact that – like, I always say Gary Payton was one of the toughest guards i ever played against. But he wasn't the best. He was just the most – he was one of the most consistent. Every night, 17 points, six rebounds, seven assists. 17 – so he didn't get 40 – like, I never had a game when I played against Gary and he gave me 40 points. Right. And I – 40 points and 20 rebounds, like 10 assists. That never happened. But 17 points. Then you looked him all night. He played against Stockton. 17. He's a Hall of Famer. It's the consistency that made him great. It wasn't the the highs and the lows. It was the consistency. He
0: doesn't get it yet. Do you think it's unfair? I mean, you've worked with Barkley now for 20 straight years. People, he's now two generations removed from people knowing what a special basketball player he was. He's certainly one of the yeah. most memorable guys I've seen in person. Um he was a one-man show. He was a one-man wrecking crew. He played with some really bad Philly teams that just carried him. I thought he was awesome on uh, that 93 Suns team, which is about as close as you can come to winning a title and not winning it. You guys had some good battles with them too. And he yeah. was a little physically, at that point when you beat him, he he, was, what he, past, he was past Apex. Yeah, he was a little more banged up. It's a That's, good what <laughs> That's what he said. That's what he said. I always think about this. It's one of the reasons I wrote my book where... You know, the years past, people forget. I do feel like people have forgotten with him.
1: I think the I always I I mark him as one of the earmarks of basketball. He's a and I say when you become that for me, you're a rule changer. So Michael Jordan, they had the term illegal offense. Yeah. Well, because you know it used to be have the you know the the defenses back then, you're like, okay, you had to be at least one hand distance away or it was called a legal defense. So what the Bulls did was like, oh, you got to be one hands man. We're going to put four guys up on the corner and have Michael play one-on-one, and you have to be closer to your man. He'll score every time. Right. So they made the term illegal offense for him. Kareem, there's no little dunk rule. Him and Wilt, like there's no dunking in college basketball. They're too great. Barkley, we don't want you to have the ball for more than five seconds and back people down. Yep. So he was an earmark of changing in the game because he was so good at something that he, they wouldn't. The league said that we're going to make a rule that you can't even do it anymore. That's greatness. Like, how many guys can say that they have had rule changes because they were so great?
0: Well, and then you played with the all time. Hey, it's, it's, if you're going all time, people forget how great this guy is. Hakeem and Moses are in the finals, and I don't yeah. know who wins, but it goes seven games. Yeah, the the Hakeem thing—it's just gone now, and he's not somebody who's in the limelight a lot. And it's yeah. now not on talking, TV. Yeah, not have, doesn't have a
1: show. Doesn't it's have 25, a clock, 26
0: had, years ago. Like, like have I a get it.
1: Account. <laughs> you know, nothing. He—he just—he's he, he, the—he's Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and LeBron kind of rolled into one.
0: But the but the defensive piece. I mean, you're talking about somebody who had, what was it, like 500 steals and blocks combined in a year? Over 500? Shit like that, like stuff that doesn't happen anymore.
1: No, he's the only player I played with as a big, or even anyone, that in a pick and roll, he would defend the, the, the pick and roll. When the guy would set a pick, he would defend your guy and get back to his guy to block the shot. I right. never, when that first happened, I actually went back my first year playing with Houston, it was like this third game of the year and it happened. Like he, he defended my guy out front. They threw it inside, he went back and he blocked it. I ran back in the locker room right at halftime. I said, let me see that play again. Cause I thought something else happened. I couldn't yeah. believe that he actually did it. And so they rewinded I'm like, this dude guarded my guy. And then went back, oh, I'm gonna win a championship. I oh was my like, God. I'm gonna win a championship. I remember,
0: when he went head to head against my beloved 86 Celtics and he was young, I mean, he's like babe in the woods and he had a couple moments in that series and especially in game six in Boston, the Celtics blow them out. But he has this one stretch in the second quarter where he just completely demolishes Bill Walton and there's a a level of athleticism he's at and the crowds kind of like, wait, what's going on? (laughs) Wait, we got to do something.
1: What's happening? Yeah, he, uh, he he was different, Bill. Like, yeah, he was. It, it was, like, again, I, I, I've i never done that. I've never ran into the locker room at halftime to see a defensive play that someone else did on my team. Only time in my whole career. It's, you know, I'm like, I didn't think that he actually did it. I said, maybe they swung it, and then somebody else hit it, and I just didn't see it because I, I got hit in the screen, so I didn't know what happened, kind of. And I was like, it's impossible for him to be that in two places, and he was. I remember there was one
0: year where he was unhappy in Houston before you guys won the titles. You were there yeah, You were there at that point. Right. And I remember driving around Boston and they were having a sports radio argument about whether you would trade Reggie Lewis for Hakeem. We loved Reggie Lewis. He was great. Right, and there are, they're are they are literally arguing about this, and I'm in the car. I have no column. I, I'm I'm nobody yet. I'm just a random dude. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Of course, we should trade Reggie Lewis for a run. <laughs> are you guys insane? He's unbelievable. What are I'm you talking about? Do
1: it. I'm glad they did God bless Reggie Lewis, but I'm yeah. glad. They what was he, he so it. upset about? What what happened? What what was his deal? He um he didn't think that the organization wanted to win, and. Mm. And he and he he was to have these because he and I became really close and he'd have these conversations. And then he he hurt his hamstring. And so he was taking his time getting back because he was already upset. He was taking his time. And then they said, he's not really hurt. And the worst thing that you could do to Hakeem Olajuwon. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna tell you one thing. He is the most honorable man I know. There's no one in the world that I know today more honorable than him. To question his honor, he wanted out. Right. He was like, "That's it." And so, when they said he's not really hurt, the owner said, "I don't believe he's really hurt, and he could be playing." He said, "I want out." He says, "Kenny, I'm not going to play here another game." He questioned my honor. He questioned me, and I was like, "Whoa!" And he sat out like another week, and then he and then I and I, I convinced him because we and I were really close. I convinced. I said, "King, play." just play. He's like, okay. So he plays the game and he's kind of not in the, you know, he's not a king. He's just going through the motions. Yeah. And I'm like, we're not going to win and they're not going to trade him. So I, I, this is a true story. So I I go, I call him in the, um, in the locker room. We're talking and I'm like, let's watch the film. And this is, he's so honorable. So I'm watching, we're watching the film and I'm laughing at him getting scored on every time he gets scored on. I'm like, oh, he's killing you, because uh, I knew that would get him going, and I was like, oh, he's killing you. You let him go." And, and then now I got the whole team, and we're all talking. Oh, look at Keem; he can't go, he can't get scored on by Will Purdue, and he's killing all these guys that he just killed like he would normally kill. Bill Winnington. Kill. and then the fire just got lit again, because mm. we uh, would we, we they weren't going to trade him, and he was not going to play hard because he was so upset at what they had said about. Him.
0: If I had been a GM, he would have been on my team. I would have gotten him. I would oh, be no, like, no. "How many picks you want? Oh, you no. want more? Okay. okay. You want four first rounders? Okay." Let me Sounds tell great. you a crazy stat.
1: Everyone always asks me this, Bill. They say, "Would you guys, you know, the documentary with Jordan?" Yeah, unbelievable. Um, they go, "Would you guys, you know, our two years kind of got glossed off in it, <laughs> but that's another story. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like it didn't happen." But he wasn't wearing number forty-five. But anyway, would you have beaten him? And I said, we would have definitely beat them one year. There's no come out in my mind. Because, two things that factors that. We would have definitely beat them. Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player we've ever seen. That is not a doubt in my mind about that either. But during their first championship run, regular season, it, it's after playoffs, we were six and one against them. Three years. 12, sorry, six and one. And we didn't even have, and Cassell and Ori were just coming in. They were... They were getting there late. So that's the first step. And then the one championship, the year he came back as number 45, Horace Grant was in Orlando.
0: Everyone, everyone leaves this part out. They had and no Dennis, good guys and at Dennis
1: all. Rodman was still in San Antonio. Yeah. So if he was playing, they would have been still too small for us. So Akeem would have just, they would have had the double team. We would have been shooting threes. What Michael would have been great. That would have been the year that they lost. They wouldn't have won eight straight. They would have lost to us one of those years. Because well, you,
0: but you're also talking hundred games a year for five straight years, and the the odds of them staying healthy. I don't. Healthy, I think there's no way.
1: Uh, We've seen how Scotty Pippen was upset. Maybe that's the year he now goes, "I'm out." Like all of those things could have happened, but eight straight. And no Horace Grant, no Rodman. No, you're not beating us. Not beating the is with a key. You're not beating us. So we did a
0: pod like during the documentary making the same point, basically, that the the 95 has now been chalked up to Jordan coming back from baseball. He didn't have it. He still averaged like 30 a game in the playoffs. That wasn't why they lost. They had Will Purdue and basically a bunch of 10th and 11th men that was the one year that they couldn't control the boards. And couldn't control the
1: boards. Couldn't control I, I agree
0: with you. I think you would have beaten them. I think you guys were lucky to get into the finals that year. I, and I think you know, what were you a 6 seed
1: that year? 6 seed, no home court advantage in any round. And we won. It's it. crazy.
0: But it's the three-point line,
1: you the goofy three-point line that year though. Yeah. No, I was a regular no, we had the regular one. I thought that was the one that they, that that was before. the one. It was
0: closer in '95. No, no, it
1: was regular. But no one's done it. No one's not had home court advantage in any round and won an NBA championship, but us because of that. Like it was a different. Yeah, it, we were just built for the playoffs and not the regular season. So right. the playoffs came out, we just took off. But I, think well, I never told you this.
0: I, that was one of my great gambling wins. You guys were like five to one underdogs, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Hakeem Olajuwon's the best player in the league. He's a five to one underdog. What's happening?" Wow. So it was a big wow. bet. And the thing is, everyone remembers it now: is the sweep and oh my god. And I was like, first of all, game one is awesome. Orlando yeah. chokes the famous Dick Anderson game, but then game three is really good because mm. that that was shown recently, and that was Clyde's big game. Yeah, and Clyde had a couple good playoff games, but there's a couple Clyde playoff games in that run where it's like, oh, yeah, that's Clyde Drexler. He's one of the best 50 guys of all time. Uh, of and he had one of those.
1: Yeah, I, I think when, what I didn't know about Clyde was his demeanor, his attitude, but his his passing ability. But Clyde was a very different addition to our team. We were, other than Akeem, even Akeem at times, he's rah-rah. Like, yeah. yeah, let's go, let's go, Kenny, let's go. We're all rah-rah. Clyde was like, so... <laughs> That's Clyde. He was yeah. a whole different beast. And so he brought a calmness to our locker room that wasn't there before. You know, we were a very like emotional team. We wore everything on our sleeve. The referees make a bad call, the whole team could get a tech. Like everybody would get a you would be like, check out, tech, tech But car he brought a calmness to our team that allowed us to win the second championship. And and if without him, we would definitely wouldn't have done. It. Well, you also had you're trying to go back to back. There,
0: once you get that first title, the the guys who sacrificed in whatever way, Pat Riley called it the disease of more. You got young guys on your team. It's like, all right, now it's my turn. I
1: call it fat catitis.
0: Yeah, you got fat catitis. You got young guy like Sam Cassell. Like, all right, now it's my turn. You got yeah. Robert Horry. It's like, hey, now it's my turn. And you're juggling all this stuff. Th- would did that team go like 47 and 35, something like that? We had,
1: we had the first year you walk on the bus, you know, guys would be like. We had the second year more sunglasses on the bus. <laughs> and when we're going try to go back to got more guys in sunglasses when they walk on the bus than you could ever imagine. Like it's it was, tough. was the funniest thing. We, our, our 13th man on the team, he was, he, he was like, he only played he was like on IR. In and out. In and out. Tim Bro, yeah. He had a, he had a, a local commercial, you know, for a betting company, and he's doing this commercial. He's the thirteenth guy on the team. Oh my God! And he's got a commercial in a local market, and he's a big guy star. He owns a nightclub. He's like he's the thirteenth guy on the team, man. But it, everybody had it. We all were in that vibe until Clyde came, and was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. no, 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 this is." And he didn't just rah-rah aside. He was like, "No, we can win it again, right?" He just was calm with it, and it helped us out.
0: It's a completely underrated playoff run because, as you said, you had no home court. The The Phoenix series, the Game 7 is out of control. Kevin Johnson, it was, it was on. And, by the way, we've been in quarantine for four months. So all I have is old basketball games. Kevin Johnson has, like, 45 in the Game 7. You guys are all seven feet off him. He's, like, completely unstoppable. There's no way to even stay in front of him and you somehow pull that one out, then you have the famous David Robinson series where he gets the MVP. You've told that story a billion times, and Hakeem's eyes are narrowing watching this ceremony. No does, he get, does he get enough credit for being a killer, Hakeem? Hakeem? Uh, yeah, because I feel like he doesn't. Because he would get in fights early in his career. Like he oh would, my would. I mean,
1: he he, would, you don't think of him that way, though. No, he led by example. He led by fierce. He led by vocal. And what, what what changed is when he really got deep into his Muslim religion, what changed about it, he harnessed it. He was able to direct it in the right moments. Like before it was like, you see him on the plane, It would, his mood with attitude would change in a car ride or on the bus, but it was like, when he became, when he really became a devoted Muslim and he really took his religion seriously, he was able to channel it at moments and say, okay, now I'm going to bring this out. I'm going to bring this out. No, right here, I'm not, but I'm going to bring it out. And so that was, that's what I saw was a difference. Um, and made him arguably the best center that we've ever seen uh, at that position, at that size. Like he's in a There's no one like him. Like Kareem was, you know, and and Wilt was so huge in size, but his speed and athleticism—I don't think there's anyone who's used it like that ever in the game.
0: Yeah, if you're putting together all-time teams and you're just like having fun throwing five guys together, there's an all-time team where you could take like Hakeem, LeBron, Pippen, Jordan, and like Kawhi, and just create create this crazy athlete, awesome killer team that yeah. I think would m- probably beat all the other teams if you if you put it together. Like, definitely Hakeem, Pippen, Jordan, um, and probably Kawhi. Yeah. You just take those four. I don't know who the fifth piece would, but just, all right, these guys are just going to trap, double, they're just going to lose their minds athletically. Good luck.
1: Good luck. Yeah, and I would could, agree with that. It could agree probably with happen.
0: When you watch that Jordan doc... Um, nostalgic? What? Like, what was? Walk me through your emotions as you're reliving this era that you were a part of. I,
1: I was surprised, you know. I pl- obviously playing with Michael in North Carolina. I was surprised that he was unveiling his thoughts mm. that you hear it privately, even though I didn't play with him in Chicago. Like, but North when you're 18, 19, 20 years old. Those are the formative years that you, you like guys, they say things to you and you have relationships that are different. And I think that's why most people say my best friends are from college or from high school. It's just a different relationship because you, you're more open. So for him to like reveal that, that was the most surprising thing to me. Like I, it wasn't nothing I hadn't heard or thought. It was that he was actually revealing it. Yeah. Revealing that, no, Clyde Jackson just a threat. Gary Payton, I had no trouble with Gary Payton. Like That type of revealing, that's strictly in a small circle. And I think that's what people were seeing and made the documentary so great because his whole career, he was so guarded on that. And we don't have social media. He wasn't tweeting, he wasn't Instagramming. We didn't see his home. We didn't see his home life. We didn't, like, I don't think there's a picture anyone could find really a, a, like a Michael Jordan's house, him just running around his house. Like there's no video of that. So right. yeah, we know what LeBron, I know what LeBron's house looks like. I know what, you know what I mean? He goes around and he's in his house with his kids and they're dancing. We saw none of that with Michael. He was a mystery uh, for most people. So to, for him to do that um, and be so honest, that it was, the, it was an honesty that was piercing. You know, it was piercing because it was, it's what every competitor thinks, but we all can't back it up. Right. And he, he actually thought it, he backed it up and then he told me he backed it up again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. Well, the other piece that made me nostalgic for that era. And I sound like the old guy now is just the whole concept of a team staying together mm-hmm. and the ups and downs that you have. And even you talk about your rockets. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you take the 92 Rockets and Akeem's unhappy and you put them in 2020, he's getting out of there. He's yep. gone. He's yep. on another team. Yep. Or starting in 1991, he's planning his exit. And that's just the way basketball is now. True. And it's a bummer. Um, but at the same time, I just like the old way. I like the ups and downs and the ebb and flow of a team. And even you look at the Miami Heat, um, the four LeBron years and the moment they had adversity it was over and they all kind of splintered which way do you like do you like everything going nuts or do you like the 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 team staying together over the long haul
1: I mean me personally I, I'm a, I'm I'm a loyalist like if you look at the, the places I've been uh, in terms of what I had to choose like I'm loyal to that like my high school is Archbishop Malloy tradition that mm. Curran, hall of fame high school coach go on to college tradition north carolina so i'm a traditionalist when i have my choice to pick it i'm the one who's going to i'm gonna ride and die with you and if someone says something bad about you even if i don't if i know it's true i'm still riding with you and then i'm gonna pull you aside later and go yeah, yeah that's true you need to change that but i'm never going to say it in public about you that's yep. just me. I'm a traditionalist. So seeing the movement of players and it, it, it it's uneasy for me um, because I'm more of a fan of a team than me I too. am of a player. So now I have to be fans of players because they might move than more being fans of a team. And I've never been that. My but that's why we're players, the old guys. I, right? I think if you're if
0: you're under thirty, you're like, no, I like I root for players, not teams. Really? I want the players to go do what they want to do.
1: I never I, I rooted for the Knicks. Yeah, you know? I didn't I didn't root. Then Walt Frazier happened to play there. And if he went, if he left, I'm not rooting for you. Anymore. So right. it wasn't it wasn't. I have a different mentality. I, I root for teams. So but I understand if I was a current player, I would say, no, I'm going to play where I can get the opportunity to win a championship based on the current environment and the way things are. Um, quick question and then uh, and then we'll go. Do you think we have
0: an NBA season this year? Does it come back?
1: I think we will. Uh, no, by Monday of next week, the spikes in the curves that cannot continue to go up and we go to Florida, where it's the biggest spiking is happening. And um, so I don't think that that, I think by Monday of next week, these next, Six to six of five or six days, you know, um, we'll get a good indication. If it goes up, I think that I, my recommendation, we shouldn't blame. If it's going up, it's impossible with people working, people around. It's the most c- contagious, you know, virus that we've seen in our lifetime. Why would we risk everyone to do that?
0: That's how I feel as well. And, and I'm with you. I think next five to six days, we'll know. We'll have the answer. Tell us yep. about the Jet Academy
1: really quick. Oh yeah, the Jet Academy, man, let me, so I'm sitting at home like we are in the pandemic and all my son's basketball camps are canceled. My daughter Mm -hmm. plays, canceled, my camp is canceled. And so I was like, what I wanna do is create a streaming process where I could be a personal trainer or these players could be a personal trainer for two hours a day. So I call like Kimba Walker, I got Trey Young, Mm. And I got uh, Victor Oladipo. I said, NBA All-Stars. Then I went to, the, I said, I got to, I wanted to make it where women as well. So WNBA, I got Brianna Stewart, Sue Bird, and Brittany Griner right now. And I just said, the first streaming service where it's live, it's like this. It's not like, right. where it's a live interaction. You could ask questions and you get two hours and you could do it on any device, anywhere. As long as you have wifi or you have a cell service, you can actually just put it and you just, you're live with your favorite player. And the funny thing is, Bill, I was talking to Kemba, so Kemba goes, all right, we're doing the camp. I love this idea. Blah, blah. I said, Kemba, you got to show us the pullback. You know, you know the thing. Yeah. I want to show the kids that. He's like, oh, no problem. I said, no, but you got to tell us when you use it and why. Ooh. He's like, oh, you want me to give all the secrets? I said, you got to, if we're going to form this community of like your training kids, you got to give all a real secret. He's like, all right, I'll give him 98%. <laughs> He's like, there's one player in the league wow. that say one thing. He's going to have the advantage on it. So I'm not going to say it, but there's one thing I won't say, but everybody else doesn't play me that way. So no problem. So that's what it is. It's, a, it's, a, it's JetAcademyCamp.com. You sign up and you get virtual training live from the NBA and WNBA's best.
0: That's awesome. Good luck with that. What, uh, what NBA player reminds you of you, by the way, right now?
1: It's funny. I was a uh, um, early in my career. I was a less version, much less. I was forty percent. I used to think like Russell Westbrook because I was fast. So I was like, right. I can just go as fast as I can. Get the guy on his heels and pull up, you know. Or I get to the, the go get a quick dunk. Early in my career, and as my career goes on, I just became any any other guy on the Rockets. Now I just stand in the corner and shoot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you you would have liked that on this Harden team. You could have done it for another six years.
1: Oh, I, I, was, I was born in the wrong era. Because scoring was the easiest thing. You know what, Reggie, before we go, Reggie Mill and I, we have this, we do this thing where from the 90s, we take the draft and we draft it based on the way the game is played today. Oh, yeah. So we were like, in our draft, we were like, David Robinson would still possibly go one he's reggie miller would be the second pick instead of the 13th pick now he's a three point shooter six foot seven i would be third in the draft because i was fast and shot the three like you shoot layups and threes that's all you did okay you're gonna be in draft. i was in a dunk contest and a three-point contest on the same night in the nba well
0: also you know with somebody like you you're you're getting 14, 15 years out of you in different
1: points of your career. And then the last four years, you're just a shooter. And load management never exists. I I was third in the NBA at 175 pounds in league in minutes played one year. Oh my God. And my body's not built for that. You see the way I walk. My body's not built for that. Like third in the league. It's just, um, when I was in Sacramento, just no load management, nothing.
0: I was going to say, you did the tour of duty in Sacramento.
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, got, all game
0: tapes have been destroyed.
1: They got me. They got me in Sac, man. So, man, it, it, it but those are the fun things that, you know, you think about now, How what would have been. Uh, but we have a great job now. And, um, you know, appreciate you bringing me on and we having some fun reminiscing a little bit.
0: Yeah. I want you to please promise you'll come back when we actually have basketball and we can actually shoot the shit about Things that are happening in real time versus 25 years ago.
1: Yeah, you know what? And I, I, I appreciate that. You know, and, and, and I, I want to, we'll, we'll be, you know, because I, I, one thing I do like about your podcast and your ability is your honesty. Because you, you speak as a, a journalist and a fan at the same time. Like, that's yeah, hard to do. Yeah, really I, a, I can't help it. They're <laughs> one's a fan, one's a journalist. But also, you know, to, I would like to hear from and tell the audience like all of the things that you've been feeling in terms of the social pressure about all oh, my my company and you know diversity in my company how do you feel and how you handle it i'd like to hear it from you because now i'm you my guy so i want to hear it
0: yeah i mean you know this last month i think the thing that's been most surprising for me is you think you're doing a good job and then you really assess it and you're like oh i could have i I should have done way better at this, this, that I thought I did this and maybe I could have done this instead. And it's one of those moments where you, 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 you know, it hurts honestly, where you're like, fuck, I didn't do well enough. Mm. What, what should I have done better? Why did I think I was doing well enough? Why was I making excuses that certain things weren't happening? Right. And you know, I, I think it's important when something like that happens is to, to try to think, all right, where am I going to be six months from now? What am I, what did I learn? How can I do better?
1: Well, here And we that's are. really all you could do. That's all you could do. How can I be better? And I appreciate the honesty on that. It's just You know, I always say, if you, if you're thinking about every decision that you've made, you make, and you're thinking about how's it affect other people, mm. especially in the community of the black community, how's it affecting them? then you're kind, con. You, and then the reason I say that, Bill, because every decision I made in my life, I had to think, how is it affecting the white community? I, every decision Right. So that, I always had to think of that. So it's just, but and it became habit. So I think now people are starting to say, man, you know, I'm making that, I can't remember who it was who said, you know, they, they, they said, I don't like it. He said he walks in his office, and they said, you know, I don't have enough women. Can you believe that, Bill, John, Mac? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I don't have any women here. You're right. Like you don't think that you're doing it and you're part of it because it's sometimes it's an undercurrent. And uh, and now you now you are woken to the undercurrent. That's great, man.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm excited for where things are going. And it's you know, it was an awakening in some ways, but I think it's been an awakening for a lot of people, especially oh, people uh, that if you have a platform, there's a certain responsibility that goes with that platform that I think some people could take for granted sometimes. And I, I definitely feel like in my case, I did.
1: Yeah, it is, brother. All
0: right. All right. Uh, yeah, please please come back. Good seeing you, Kenny Smith. Okay, brother. All
2: right. for talk. All right. All right. Take care. From The Ringer, I'm Tyler R. Times. When I spoke to NFL star Cam Newton in January, his mindset was clear. I want my whole career to be in Charlotte. Cam won't be getting that wish. He was released by the Carolina Panthers in March. Cam is a complex figure, and my interest in him goes far beyond his exuberant smile and transcendent style of play. Cam broke the glass ceiling in American athletics, ascending to a place in the sport that few black quarterbacks have ever reached, making his fall that much more dramatic. Over the past year, I've traveled the country speaking to coaches and teammates, friends and family, Reporters, and even briefly to the man himself, trying to unravel the enigma that is Cam Newton. Uncover contradictions at every turn. How can the hardest worker on the team be depicted as a bad leader? And how can a franchise icon with an NFL MVP and Super Bowl appearance on his resume be so abruptly cast aside? The Ringer NFL Show presents The Cam Chronicles. The series premieres Monday, July 13th.
0: All right. Will Farrell is here. We're taping this at the end of May, but we're holding it for as, as we get closer to your new movie. But uh, we're in the quarantine. I was excited for your quarantine hairdo and it has not disappointed. It's, no, it's, it's as it, bushy as I've ever seen it. Well, and you
3: know what? I kind of blew it. I actually put a little bit of product in to to mat it down. It This
0: is nothing. It has a whole nother level to it. Mine goes up too. I, I think we have similar hair that the longer it gets, it goes up and sideways instead of down. I'm most jealous of the people with the long hair that it just goes down. Mine, mine just goes nice. up.
3: But now you, it you, um, looks like you, you did a little grooming on the side there. You've got it high. And high.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I bought, I bought like a really nice electric razor thingy on Amazon and yeah. had my wife and my daughter cut my hair so that it was tighter cuz my hair my face just becomes like this round planet <laughs> you know where where uh I forgot to use my microphone by the way uh my face <laughs> just becomes this round planet yeah and uh and I you know obviously not ideal so I ha- I had to tone it down
3: we um we just had somehow my middle son my 13 year old convinced my 10 year old let him cut his hair
0: oh that led to tears i bet well
3: and bless his heart the 10 year old did not get get it in writing that he could then cut his older brother's hair he just said because <laughs> you got to get that in writing you got to yeah. get you know you got to do pinky swear i don't know why you got to do spit in each other's palms and you know have a tom sawyer handshake or something but he just said okay, I don't have to and oh matthias matthias is is, is the 13 year old Axel's the younger guy, and he just he just gave him the weirdest haircut that was shaved but a little bit of a mullet mm. shaved a smiley face in the back of his head and at first it was <laughs> first it was laughter axel was going along with it and then it then it led to tears yeah ultimately yeah it led to tears
0: it always ends badly yeah you're stuck you're stuck in your house with three sons. Who probably yeah. haven't been together this much in their entire lives. What's happened? like? It's,
3: um, it's actually been better than I thought it would be. They, they, in fact, they're even commenting like, do you see how good we're getting along? Yeah. Yeah. And I said, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really shocked. Now it doesn't, of course there's massive flare ups, but, uh, um, but for the most part, they're just they're forced to have to hang out. And um, they have developed a game in the backyard with one of the soccer nets we've set up uh, called Sexy Tim. And uh, they play Sexy Tim. Now, what, all it is, is one kid plays goalie and you defend until you've let a ball go by you. And then the guy who scores now rotates and is the goalie.
0: Oh. But
3: it's called Sexy Tim.
0: <laughs> and we don't know who Tim is. They just no, made we, that don't know.
3: we don't know who Tim is, and we don't know why it's sexy. But so after dinner, they'll just say, "Hey, let's play Sexy Tim."
0: You better so, make sure it's not some neighbor with a telescope that they well, befriended or something,
3: true, or it's not some euphemism that I don't know the real meaning of it. <laughs>
0: it probably is. <laughs> do you feel do you feel old with these kids now? Do you feel like you're of a previous generation? Because there's I have moments with my kids where I just feel like I'm the old guy and I don't know really what happened because you don't realize that it's happening until it's actually happened.
3: Yeah. uh, Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm, I'm not on social media, so I'm out of that loop. Um, Smart. Yeah. And you're
0: not missing anything. Let me just tell you,
3: I feel so confident that I'm not. Um, And yet it is still tempting every now and then to like, Oh, it'd be funny to comment on this, but yeah, for the most part, I just know that that grass is not greener. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's true. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think it's inevitable that you, uh, um, even though one of the boys is mistakenly, when he, when he feels like uh, my wife and I are out of touch, he refers to us as boomers. You guys are such boomers. Yeah. Which is incorrect. We're not, we're too young to be boomers. I think we're gen Xers technically.
0: I think the boomers thing has taken a different meaning the last six months. Do your kid?
3: have you been referred to that?
0: Yeah, it started on the, it started on social. It's uh, okay. it just means you're old. It's a, it's a new way to insult people for, for being old, the boomer. Then there was a backlash to the boomer because people were saying you're old shaming people. It's, it's, uh, it's a mess. Okay. The internet's a mess. You stay away. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, but I, I have during this this quarantine i have taken uh one of the boys phones and purposely threw it out the window of the car as we were driving really which sent ripples through the through the family and uh (laughs) it's something you always threaten to do you know yeah and then actually but it was all it was all premeditated i knew i was going really slow and it was on a street in our neighborhood and I I spotted like a big cactus plant and knew it'd be easy to find. And I'm like, hand me your phone, hand me your phone. And I just threw it. And the shock, um the effect only lasted a couple of days, though, 48 hours of good behavior. And then it was right back to
0: Yeah, it's like a coach screaming at his team for effect. Just gotta, <laughs> right? gotta keep everyone on their toes for a couple of days.
3: <laughs> but other friends of I were were that they've been able, I think that story's been more useful for other f- friends of ours to tell their kids,
0: you know, we, our kids, we have kids like around the same age and yeah. your kids play sports. So yeah. you go to these games and I've been at games that you've been at a couple times. It's, it's a weird life for you. It's, you can't really blend in because you're tall too. So it's very <laughs> obvious that you're there. And you know, I think in LA for the most part, there's ah. a little bit of a code in LA not to yeah, badger celebrities but it's still you know i i always feel for you in those situations because you just want to go watch your kid play sports
3: it's not it's pretty good in fact i was just thinking this this you know right now we have just missed memorial day weekend here uh we would have normally we were always down in san diego at this big ayso soccer tournament right the, the top gun tournament um and i was just thinking oh wow we would have been there and, uh, yeah, I usually wear a big, you know, shade sun hat, um, which probably calls more attention to me.
0: Uh, <laughs> Makes you taller.
3: Yeah. But no, I mean, most, most, most families are pretty good, but yeah. Sometimes, it,
0: it's weird. It's weird having the weekends back. Right.
3: But the, you know, the other thing, the other thing that is, is fascinating to do, and that was part of, uh you know, for, for once again, these teams. And I don't know if you've had to do the, any of the refereeing for soccer. The I've stayed
0: away. I can't, I can't handle it. Yeah. You've done that.
3: Oh yeah. I've done the, uh, I haven't done the center ref, but I've done the sideline ref. Yeah. And, uh, that I kind of love that because they oh. don't recognize me until about the end of the first half. And then a kid will come over to my sideline to take a throw in. And he'll just look at me. <laughs> Wait. Is that that
0: guy? Wait a second.
3: Okay. And then the other boys will start talking and pointing. And by halftime, they're like, Hey, you will
1: throw? Hey. Oh, what's up?
3: And uh, <laughs> um, and I love that's That's such a fun reaction to watch them slowly as they distract themselves in the middle of the game.
0: It could go one of two ways, right? You could actually yeah. like negatively I, distract them I, or they could uh, step it up because you're there they would like I bring something better out of them some sort
3: of outcome on the game in fact they should really ban me
0: <laughs> i remember lebron's son was playing played a game before my daughter's basketball game in eighth grade and then stuck around to watch the first quarter and i was like oh man i don't know i i could see the kids completely freezing or going the other way, and they went the other way. It was like Hoosiers, everyone was making shots. We're up 15 in the first I'm quarter. Sure, I'm sure hustle plays, die oh, yeah, for
3: loose balls. Just, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: did you did you follow what SNL was trying to do with the at home stuff and trying to keep the show going when basically yeah. on Zoom? <laughs> what, what'd you think of that? I, it was pretty ambitious, right? Totally ambitious. Um, I think, I think it
3: was you know, really inspired on one hand to be able to kind of create that stuff while everyone is, uh, you know, separate and not together. At the same time, I think it also shows that, you know, the the original format for how it's done is really the value of the show. And you, at the end of the day, while there, of course, there were funny things, uh, you really miss watching it in the studio with the band, with the musical act. With you know, it's an institution, and and you see why it is. Um, uh, but I mean, I th- I think it it was probably fun for them to to at least just get to do something, and 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 definitely fun for an audience to to finally have a little change of pace.
0: Yeah, there's some things that WWE was weirdly like this too, where they've been trying to do these you know, pay-per-views and weekly shows with no audience. And you just realize how important the fans are to just every single hey, thing in wrestling.
3: I, so have they been doing wrestling in like an empty arena?
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. I miss that. But the, they come out, they do the entrances, but they're doing their oh, whole okay. thing, but nobody's there. So they're... It's the music,
3: it's the pyrotechnics, It's and but it's empty. It's an empty stadium.
0: Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... So that the weirdest part is the guys walk out and they have to have like that swagger that you have when twenty thousand people are either cheering or booing you, but there's nobody cheering or booing.
3: And and that swagger plays really well in front of twenty thousand people. And right, looks probably a little ridiculous when it's no one's out there.
0: Well, you realize, like with SNL, the Weekend Update was probably the weirdest thing with no audience because you just realize how important the audience well, is for that specific segment right there if, exactly. if they don't laugh at a joke that's almost funny in itself
3: and that's that segment specifically is such a uh such a rhythm a rhythm segment to you know that's basically just telling jokes and yeah you need the rhythm and you need you know that's that's as close to uh to come kind of playing a piece of music as any of the sketches are so yeah i i i could see how that would be
0: you know um not the best they're they're doing this thing now the whole cancel culture thing where they go 20 years ago 15 years ago and find something somebody did and then try to get them to apologize they just did it with jimmy fallon do you think you had that sketch you did with the dogs where you were yelling at your dogs the the uh infomercial Do you think retroactively people are going to come at you that you were mean to animals in 2000? (laughs) You have to apologize to Cocker Spaniel? Yeah. It could happen. It could happen.
3: I'm I'm sorry
0: what I said to Fred the dog. I I didn't mean it.
3: I did not mean to burst the eardrums of Fred the Cocker Spaniel. (laughs) Uh, By the way, uh, oh, no, no. I was thinking of another fake commercial.
0: No, uh, the the one the infomercial where you, it was like belittling your dog. Oh yeah, or, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, that one. No,
3: I I was thinking that my name in that commercial was Way Blazing Game. <laughs> Old pitcher for the Astros. But mm. um but that was a different. I was a I was a really bad uh uh injury attorney. Uh, yeah.
2: Who
3: I had remember that one. Stars on his face. Yeah. <laughs> Being attacked by a a dog yeah anyway two different sketches but
0: well i'm sure they all blend in together at this point yeah yeah i can't remember i mean i can't remember entire years of my life much less what the the actual yeah Yeah. nitpicks of of different things what else have you been up to during the quarantine are you productive you just watch the tv any tv obsessions
3: uh you know it's uh, you know that's been a um it's it's been I'm sure you've you've found this for yourself, is how quickly the days kind of go by in a weird way. Um and uh yeah, there's been there's been tons of even though like everything else, Hollywood is kind of shut down, there's still tons, tons of things to read and look at and uh uh you know uh now when and where and how they will ever be executed is another question. But um so there's still a lot of, of things. And, uh, I've, uh, but I've, all otherwise, yeah, trying to, to kind of, you know, exercise.
0: That's been good. Exercising.
3: <laughs> I walk the dogs now. Nice. I do that. Um, and, uh, and then what forcing the kids to watch weird things on TV, like the, um, Ken Burns civil war documentary,
0: which Just- Trap
3: them on the couch? Totally. And it was like, can we watch TV? Yes. Good news and bad news. Yes. You can watch TV on a school night. Yes. Okay. Ken Burn. What is that? What is this, dad? It's Ken Burns' Civil War documentary. <laughs> and that is, that is like, what? This is terrible. I'm like, okay, well, then we can just go to bed. And
0: then they end up kind of liking it. So. Uh, yeah, you wear them down where it's just. It's this or nothing. They're going to like anything more than they normally but do. The one shared experience that's been kind of great, and
3: they've been into it just as much as we have, as so many people have, is uh, the Michael Jordan thing. The last dance. Yeah. And they've, they found it equally fascinating. Um, uh, just because, you know, to them, Michael Jordan is, is just a name. They never they, That's the first time they've seen extensive footage of him actually playing basketball. Yeah, it's really interesting to watch that generation go, oh, wait, this guy was phenomenal, you know, (laughs) and uh, and yeah, and just, you know, as 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 a fan of that era and growing up in that era, just all that that insight and that that uh, that has been I could have watched that for the rest of the year. I wish they had 100 episodes.
0: Yeah, generationally. I think it's like the cutoffs probably like 28 years old where yeah, yeah. anyone under that LeBron's kind of the guy He's the guy because they did, they weren't there for Jordan. They didn't see it. Right,
3: right. But it was, it was fun to see them go. Oh, oh, right. This guy, LeBron, you know, LeBron's great, but so was this
0: guy. You might, you might have to do a last dance parody to add <laughs> that to your creative, whatever. Uh, I actually got to, uh, I was trying to remember,
3: it's funny, and I may I I saw Jordan play twice, and there are two kind of interesting places. One was as a as a uh, eighth grade basketball camper at Dean Smith's North Carolina basketball camp. You went to that? I went. I was the only kid from California. There was like 300 basketball players, and wow, uh, all my family's from North Carolina. So I was. I thought. I'm going to, I'm going to try out for freshman basketball going into, you know, my freshman year in high school. That'd be cool to go to a basketball camp. And I went and I was immediately homesick and (laughs) I was like, all these, all these kids, you know, everyone goes with their team. So there were all these cliques of kids hanging out. I'm like this kid from urban California, just like sitting in the cafeteria. Um, but we got to watch this pickup game between the current team and like North Carolina Legends, and there was this skin guy Michael Jordan out there, and uh, so I got to watch him at the old Carmichael gym, and then we uh, we watched him on that Bobby Knight Olympic team in '84 in LA, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, you yeah. went to one of those, yeah,
3: we went to watch them play. You know, I don't mm-hmm. even remember who it was, but uh, yeah, it was just funny watching. Uh, Michael Jordan under Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight, it's so funny too, for all of his, uh, you know, his, his mystique and his, amp, he, he, I don't think he said a word to that team. They were such a good team. He just yeah. like, okay, really calm. Granted, I think they probably beat, you know, Lithuania by 30 points, but uh, I don't know if there was anything to yell at the team about, but it was just so
0: funny to watch him be just super calm and not not say a word that was a weird time because there were way less NBA fans, obviously. And Jordan, that was the famous, they took Sam Bowie over Jordan draft. Yeah. And it was really weird at the time. Cause Jordan was such an exciting college player. Like people just couldn't wait for him to go to the pros, but like not everyone realized it. And then he did the Olympic team and it was kind of like, everybody's like, Oh, Oh, so this is going to be yeah. how it goes. But it was weird that people didn't know that before the Olympic team.
3: No, no. Um, uh, and,
0: and it was also weird to,
3: you know, growing up in Los Angeles thinking, oh, the Olympics. Yeah, I don't know if we'll go even go see anything. You know, traffic's supposed to be horrible. And credit to my mom. She 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 drove up and she bought like uh, four groups of tickets to a bunch of different events. And it literally was one of the greatest, you know, it was just amazing. Yeah. To go to an Olympics, even though Russia wasn't there. And uh, I just, it was, you know. To sit in a full coliseum and watch a full day of track and field, uh, oh yeah! It inc- and we we saw soccer at the Rose Bowl. We saw basketball. It was it was uh, it was really cool.
0: I went in 2012 when it was in London. Yeah, and I'd never gone, and I was really like fired up for it. Yeah. And it was even better than I expected. No, it, it, it was absolutely the- incredible.
3: It lives up to the hype, no
0: question. When you were growing up in Irvine, did you realize that someday it was going to become the most prestigious youth soccer location for any tournament? Because <laughs> you have the Irvine spectrum the,
1: the,
0: is, is close. You got a mall to go to if they're, if the games are four or five hours apart, you you can actually go to an outdoor mall. It's huge.
3: I, uh, in fact, yeah, not only that, no, I had no idea that that was, it was going to become the Mecca.
0: It is it's the m s g of youth soccer in California, yeah. uh,
3: <laughs> but I actually took my boys to one of the old fields I used to play at. There's this big sports complex called Harvard park um uh which they were not that
0: yeah, they were that cool that
3: they yeah, whatever can we go to Inno? uh but yeah, that's i i just i i was like what- where was this?' When I was, I mean, we were playing on dirt patches. You
0: know? I judge all my youth sports locations by if if we have three to four hours to kill, where are we going? And oh. if like the only option is uh, a Buffalo Wild Wings, you know, next to a Greek pizza place that you're in trouble, just in the middle of nowhere. Well, I can remember uh,
3: because I had played just. AYSO a couple of years and then they they started a, a soccer club in Irvine and I tried out and uh, made one of the first teams and but we had to play in
0: Chino and
3: out in Norco
0: oh Norco D- and, don't worry Norco's still going hard and they, strong
3: and they've got I think they have like amazing fields now out there but, but I literally remember having to hop a fence and run through and you had to be careful not to step in the cow cow manure to get the ball right uh, and just driving for hours and wondering what was it really worth it
0: <laughs> I, by the way we're still wondering that 2020 i think when we got our weekends back these last three months it was like ah maybe maybe driving around every every yeah. weekend maybe that isn't a great way to spend a saturday yeah i don't know uh, um hey are you still involved with succession I am,
3: I, I'm a, a producer, I mean, I'm by name, but that's, that's kind
0: of has its own. You were involved in the mechanism, in the original piece of yeah. it though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Were you surprised by how well received and awesome it became? I mean, it, it's yeah. probably the signature show of the last three years. Oh, so crazy.
3: Uh, definitely. It, it, only cause you, you just don't know. I mean, you know, uh, Jesse, who, you know, writes, he, he's he's super smart, funny writer, you know, great writer. So that's kind of a surprise. But you, you just didn't know if just the intrigue of this billionaire media family would be enough. Uh, um, but yeah, it is insane as to how many people uh, from all different people who I, I wouldn't think would even be into the show are like, that's a great show. Uh
0: it's really well cast too. I think that's the other thing. It's so so many good actors and in a lot of cases actors that I didn't have a real background or baggage with, you know. Like kind of fresh face actors.
3: But totally, which uh is it just doesn't when that happens it's 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 like you you can you can allow yourself to kind of follow uh the stories and the characters even you know when you, when you don't when you don't recognize who you're watching, they become, they become real people. And, uh, and and at the same time, just, it's just fun to kind of give those opportunities to, to, you know, new faces.
0: That's probably about in terms of just a production company developing a show. That's about as good of a success story as you're going to have, right? You find a good creator. It lands at HBO. Yeah. Cast. Well, people like it that that's, that's unusual. it doesn't usually play out that way.
3: no, no it's they're few and far between and uh, um, uh, we're kind of having similar success with this other show Dead to me on Netflix. yeah, which is kind of uh obviously a different different show but maybe skews more towards towards a female audience, but um still the same sort of thing, like you know find great casting, great showrunner uh just a solid premise that once again you're like oh no this seems interesting i don't know if it'll work and then it it takes off but you're yeah you, you you're you kind of for every one of those there's at least nine others that for whatever reason just kind of
0: fizzle there's some hiccup along the way and yeah. then that's it yeah. yeah dead to me was a big show with the uh simmons ladies in my house okay Season two came out and they just banged it out in like nine hours. I don't know how many episodes it is, but they watched all of them in a row for nine hours. I'm like, what do you guys do with her? Go away. Leave us alone.
3: It's funny how, I mean, I I guess because I just, because as you you brought up earlier, we're we're getting, we're old. Um, I'm still, it's still hard to, I mean, I can go two in a row, maybe three in a row, then I got to shut it down and take a little break digest yeah maybe come back the next day or a couple of days later and but i i don't i can't do the nine hours in a row
0: depends how how much I, is I, going I, on with the show it, like
3: yeah
0: like ozark i could not do more than two in a row because it's there's just so much going on and and it's such a dark show you don't want to go yeah, too far seen
3: it.
0: yeah yeah that one's a good one yeah, yeah you'd like that one what's up with uh, your new movie
3: uh well we uh this is a movie that is it's twenty years in the making um no joke well not in the making I take that back I've had the idea of wanting to do something on this cultural phenomenon for twenty years, which is the I don't know bill if you're familiar at all with or if any of your listeners the Eurovision Song Contest which is uh takes place in May every year um. And it, it was basically kind of this thing that they started in post World War II, 1950s, just to kind of, uh, unify Europe in a way. And, uh, and it's, it's basically, I mean, it's, it's essentially a singing contest between all the countries of Europe, uh, including Australia and Israel for what reason? Oh,
0: shoehorned in.
3: Yeah. I don't know why. Um, uh, but it's gone on. It's gone on for sixty years, sixty-five years. But um, ABBA kind of got discovered at Eurovision, and you know, Celine Dion kind of got her break there. A bunch of people have sung there, and it's this thing that uh, it they get one hundred and eighty to two hundred million viewers every year. Uh, and I first saw it when uh, uh, my wife and I went to Sweden for the first summer, and we sat down and her cousin was like, should we watch, shall we watch Eurovision? And I, I, I said, I, I guess, I don't know. What is that? It's like, Oh, you don't know. Let's watch. And it was the final night and all the acts sing. And then they have this vote tabulating system and it, it's like a three hour show. And I was literally, you know, and it's from the ridiculous to the sublime between the types of songs and just, crazy staging and some are legit like good songs and some are the worst songs you've ever heard. Um, but I just was always like, oh, this is this is a movie. And, right. and I I never, I just thought, I just assumed I would make it and no one ever did. And about four years ago, I started talking to uh, one of our producers and a, a writer buddy of mine. I was like, let's fly over to Copenhagen. And that's, uh, that was the country that was hosting that year. And let's watch this thing. You guys got to see how crazy it is because I'm telling you there's a movie. And so that was the year that this, this, uh, conchie versed one for Austria. Uh, she's trans and, um, she won the, the song she won Austria in this kind of amazing spectacle thing. And, uh, uh, and that's when we sat and talked with, uh, the Eurovision people and, uh, uh, we're like, would you let, let us make a movie? And they, they were like, yeah, I think so. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so, so myself and, uh, Rachel McAdams are, are, uh, are participants from Iceland and we are, uh, yeah, we are, we are, we are not supposed to, uh, win the Icelandic contest, we kind of get in on a technicality, and we go on to compete in the in the entire uh,
0: competition. So you had to you had to do an Icelandic accent. I did. I had to do. It's, uh, it's a little monotone, right? Isn't it a little like this? It, it,
3: it, I I kind of leaned on my Swedish accent uh, a little bit, and, uh, um, and that was it. And that was it.
0: Yeah, it's it, basically. <laughs> crossover wait i gotta ask you about the swedes yeah because we got we got bought by spotify swedish company oh yeah and i'd say you know after after you get bought you become a spotify employee you have to fly to sweden but obviously we can't fly anywhere but they fly every person who becomes a spotify employee you have to spend four days in sweden but i was gonna have to go there a bunch of times and i was like boning up on all the Sweden stuff but now you yeah. can't go anywhere but give me some Sweden tips or are you
3: going to go to Stockholm I would think right
0: Yeah Stockholm
3: Uh you well eventually you'll get to go and uh yeah great city
0: great handsome country. country Handsome
3: yes like like pretty much you'll walk down Stockholm men and women are just beautiful people Yeah yeah
0: I noticed I did an event for them in September and it was half the Swedish part of the company and half the American part. And it was just like, wow, can I can kind of tell who's here from Sweden? Just like (laughs) handsome group (laughs) and the Americans all look disheveled Brooklyn beards.
3: No, I saw some of the, uh, the most like well-dressed people. And they're just out on their lunch break, you know, walking around and uh, um, perfectly coiffed, beautiful Scandinavian features. Uh, uh, yeah, you'll have to, um, there's a lot to do. You have to go to my favorite museum in, uh, probably in the world, uh, the Vasa, the Vasa Museum. What's that? Which is a, um, it's a, a ship from, it sounds weird it is a ship from the 1600s a big sailing ship that they dredged up from the bottom of the harbor wow and is perfectly preserved perfectly preserved wow uh, because it just sat there for 500 years and you know and everyone knew and it's this really fascinating story of of sweden at the height of their colonial powers and the kind of hubris of King Gustav Vasa wanted the tallest warship in the world, and he wanted it built to these certain specifications. And the shipbuilders kept saying, we can do that, but it's going to tip over immediately, just so you know. Like, <laughs> right. it's too narrow. And yeah, it's like, keep going. And, and then they checked in with him later. They're like, just so you know, once again, we want to have another little chat. How's the shipbuilding? It's going great, but just so you know, we, it's going to tip over and then he's like i don't care (laughs) keep building it and the shipbuilder dies and his son takes over and even he tries to sit down with the king and says i'm just about done with it it's looking great but it's going to tip over and and it's not going to work and uh sure enough the day they decide to sail a a big wind it sails for maybe 30 seconds and uh the wind catches the sails all the cannons lurch over to one side it throws and it sinks in like five minutes and there it just rested um and because the the conditions at the bottom of a stockholm harbor are are uh it it never ate the the wood away and and they knew it was sitting there and so here was sweden in the 1950s just flush with cash after world war ii because they just they were neutral, so they, they didn't have any damage and smart move. So and they were like, We've got money, let's uh dredge up the ship. And, yeah. <laughs> and so they did this huge engineering thing. Anyway, it sits in this museum, and uh it's this crazy thing that you wouldn't think looking at a ship would be that interesting. But it's uh, everyone we go, you know, when we go every summer, we bring our friends like, come on, we have to go drive into Stockholm and go
0: to Vasa, and people are like blown away by it. So that sounds like something that sounds like something Trump would have done. No, yeah. keep building it, keep building it, and then when it sank, he just would have blamed everyone else. And, I told them it was going to sink, and that's what this guy <laughs> kind
3: of did. There were there were like hearings, and they they first they said uh, uh, was it witchcraft? Well, I don't know. Let's look into it. It was like very similar. Like they had commissions to try to figure out. And the ship, the shipbuilding family kept saying, we've told you 80 times it's yeah. built too tall. <laughs> and no right. Listen. Um,
0: anyway. He's just pointing fingers at everybody else. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that comes out what day? July twenty or June 23rd? Uh, June. Uh, that is June 22nd. June 26th. June 26th. I'm just going to keep shouting out dates until it's the right one. June 28th, June 20th. Anywhere from the 23rd to the 26th. Just, <laughs> just tune into Netflix.
3: You've got a good chance of seeing it.
0: Oh, it's on Netflix. It's
3: Netflix. Yeah. We're, uh, Oh, look at you. It, it's one of those movies where, you know, we were like, thank God we're with Netflix right now.
0: Yeah, seriously. All right. Well, it was good yeah. to see you. How, how do we feel about LAFC? Uh, I, I, they'll come back. MLS will come back at some point soon, right?
3: Well, aren't they? They're going to do this tournament, right? Yeah. And and then they'll they'll try to uh, uh, maybe f- play games after this tournament.
0: Yeah. For people who don't know, you're you're a minority owner of the uh, LAFC yes. team. That was smart. That was smart to get in on that. That was what. That was a. That was a smart.
3: I have to. Uh, slightly pat myself on the back.
0: I mean they leverage you a little bit. You have to you have to work when you're at the games. They you have to work on the video screen when you get shown, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> but no,
3: I I I I just I had a good I just remember when they talked about this stadium was gonna be next to the Coliseum. Yeah. Soccer only. I remember thinking, this is gonna work out.
0: It's it's one of the best executed start to finish launches of a team that I've seen because they even figured out how to make it seem like the team had a tradition in the beginning with the fans uh, and the, the Eagle, is it an Eagle or a Falcon? It's a Falcon Falcon. It's, um,
3: all Falcon. Yes.
0: All that, all those little twists. And it seems like they've been around for 30 years. And meanwhile, it was created like two years ago, but doesn't yeah. feel that way.
3: They're, they had, a. Uh, tom pan and the team you know the team president and everything from yeah every move they've made is is been spawned to uh yeah all, cultivating that fan base also to uh john thornton the, the gm had never been a gm before too and he's made yeah great moves with players and uh, yeah i'm kind of like i think everyone would have been happy if if they you know just would have been 500 or you know and they on top of everything that amazing atmosphere they turn out to be really good it's it's a cool thing
0: the size of the stadium was really smart too that's why i'm hoping when when bomber makes the clippers arena i think there's there's real wisdom in a smaller arena where it's more compact it feels more special to be there I think you should just do like 2,000 seats. That's it. It's <laughs> <them> really tight. <laughs> it's like Pepperdine size. Yeah, exactly. Pepperdine. Yeah. yeah. Every baby. seat uh, is 5,000 a game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, good luck with the movie. It was good seeing you. All right, Bill. You too. All right. Thanks to Kenny the Jet Smith. Thanks to Wolf Farrell. Thanks to Zip Recruiter. Again, we are going away now until next Monday or Tuesday of next week, there is a new rewatchables, The Perfect Storm. Um, Don't forget to subscribe to the Bakari Sellers podcast if you haven't subscribed already. We are going to announce a new podcast next week on the Ringer Podcast Network. Stay tuned for that and enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy your July 4th. Stay safe.
1: See you next time.